0: I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible, to open up with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 18. Joshua, chapter 18. And just to let you know, we are coming close to what takes place every year here at Calvary Chapel of Downey, August summer (laughs) nights. And this year, August summer nights, it's going to look just a little different. What we're going to do is we want to cultivate fellowship. We want to cultivate intimacy with one another. And what we're going to do is that after each night in the Wednesday nights of August, after service, we're going to have music outside. We're going to have food trucks outside, games for the kids, so that we're able to fellowship with one another. Amen. Some of you are wondering if the message is going to be shorter. No, it's not. (laughs) We're in Joshua chapter 18. We've titled tonight's message, Running to Your Arms. If you like taking notes, write that down in your Bible, Running to Your Arms, as the song that we just sang forever rang, Lord, we're running to your arms. We've reached the place here in the book of Joshua where we see that God's promises are fulfilled to God's people. God's promises are fulfilled to God's people. You see, in the first 12 chapters of this book, we see the possession of the land as how the nation of Israel came in and took the land that God had given them. And then from chapter 13 to chapter 21, we're going to see The division of the land. So from the possession of the land to the division of the land. And the nation of Israel is going and inheriting now the promises of God or the promised land. And in order for that to happen, the Jordan River had to be crossed. We see through scripture that the Jordan River represents something for us tonight, just as it did for them then. It represents us leaving the wilderness, crossing over to a life or the spirit-filled life. We as believers tonight must know that we ought to let the wilderness of defeat or the exchange the wilderness of defeat for the land of blessing. We must exchange the wilderness of defeat, the wilderness of disobedience, For the land of blessing and the land of victory. And here we're going to see that it was not only about getting to the promised land, but it's about learning how to stay there. (laughs) There are a lot of times in our life that we get to the promises of God, but do you know how to stay there in the promises of God or in the promised land? Do you know how to live by the Spirit? We must learn how to live in the land of blessing. (laughs) This is an essential theme for us even tonight. Why? Because the nation of Israel, we read last week that there were a few tribes that failed to drive out the Canaanites, that failed to drive out the enemy, therefore they were not able to possess all that God had for them and they never were able to experience the fullness, notice this, of the victory that God had for them. So what do we have before us tonight? We have perils that we must avoid, dangers and perils to avoid, but also principles to follow. It's amazing as we see God's word, he gives us those perils to avoid, but also those principles to follow. Yes, God had given them all of the land, but it doesn't mean they took all of it. And there are often times in our life that God has more for us, but we fail to take everything that God has for us because of disobedience. I want to tell you something tonight, brother and sister. Victory in our life is not automatic. (laughs) There are times in our life that we think that victory is automatic, that it's going to fulfill itself on its own. Yes, Jesus gave us the final victory on the cross. But if we want to walk in that victory, we must learn three things that we're going to see in the scriptures tonight is that, number one, we must be standing on precepts. We must be, number two, walking by faith. And we must, number three, be living by promises. If you want to experience victory in your life, what does it take? What are the prerequisites for victory in the life of the believer? Well, obedience. Standing on precepts, walking by faith, and living by promises. Let's read here Joshua chapter 18, verse 1. It says this, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh, and they set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, notice this in verse 2, which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this evening, tonight, Lord. And Lord, we want to give your word the respect that it deserves. So we ask, Lord, that you would remove every distraction in our mind so that you would speak to us. That we would pursue victory in our walk. That we would pursue obedience. That we would not grow comfortable or that we would not grow complacent. Lord, I ask that you would shake us up. So that we would stand on precepts, so that we would be walking by faith, and Lord, that we would be living by promises. So Lord, show us and speak to us now. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Together we said, amen. Now it says that after the land was possessed and after the land was divided, something takes place because the whole congregation of the children of Israel, assemble or they gather together. And as they assemble and gather together, something or someone notices Joshua in particular here that there is still more to possess. What did the Lord tell Joshua? Joshua, you're old and advanced in years and there's still much work to be done. There is still much land that is unpossessed. So they gather here at Shiloh. Why is this important? Because this is where... They set up the tabernacle of God. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was placed now. This was the place of worship at Shiloh. In fact, the word Shiloh means gift, or the word Shiloh also means peace in Hebrew. And they've come to the place of a gift, or they've come to the place of peace, where the tabernacle and the presence of God is set up. And there Joshua, as a leader, is aware that some of the people have failed to fully obey the Lord. Notice it says something here in verse 2. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not received their inheritance. Why had that night received their inheritance? Well, the Bible tells us in the previous chapters that the Lord had given it to them, yet they did not go out or they failed to take it. They failed to to step out. They procrastinated. They put it aside. They started to now uh, delay in their obedience. They were slacking. And notice what Joshua does because he holds them accountable. He exhorts them. There are times in our lives that we don't want to be exhorted or be held accountable this way. But notice what he tells them in verse 3. He says, In Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go up and to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? You know what Joshua is telling these seven tribes that have not possessed, that have not stepped out, that are failing to obey, that are delaying or slacking or putting off the promises of God or putting the promises of God on hold on their lives? He's saying, how long are you going to (laughs) wait? How long will you wait till you obey the Lord? (laughs) And maybe tonight the Lord is even telling us, us now, how long will you wait, how long will you delay until you obey what the Lord has said? You see, there is something important here that took place because these seven tribes, after having seen the other tribes inherit and step out and possess the land, they were distracted. <laughs> they became comfortable, they became complacent, they lost focus now, and they started to procrastinate. They started to put the promises of God on hold. And here is now the danger notice this the danger of neglect. You see, the danger of neglect easily pulls us into a place in our lives where we start to live in sin. <laughs> Because here is the sin of neglect or the sin, notice this, of unbelief. Where God has spoken to you about something and you are living in unbelief. There is something such as the sin of unbelief. And far it be from us that we live in that sin. The sin of unbelief, the sin of neglect now. They, they receive the promises, but they failed in the area of follow through. There are many times that we receive the word of God, but we don't apply the word of God in our lives. In James chapter 4, verse 17, when speaking about faith, James tells the church this, therefore to him who knows how to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Therefore to him who knows what God has told you to do and fails to do it, to him it is neglect. And here Joshua is telling them, what are you, why are you delaying what God wants you to do? He's already told you what to do. He's already spoken now, but you lost the vision. You lost the passion. And because of that, there is no more action. You heard the voice of God, but you are delaying. You see, when, once God has revealed his plan to us as his church, as his sons and daughters, we are then free." to step out in faith and fully pursue the plan of God that he has conferred to us through his word. We're not to be lazy. We're not to be comfortable. We're not to be complacent. And there are some of us that oftentimes where God says, I need you to step out now, and that change becomes difficult, so we rob ourselves from the place that God wants us to be. (laughs) Now, why was it so difficult for them? (laughs) You see, probably because these people had not lived in a permanent place, in a permanent dwelling for more than a generation. They had become accustomed to live in one place and then move to the other place. And they were afraid of something new, even if it was something good. You must be very careful that we are not afraid of something new if it's coming from the Lord if God has confirmed it through his word. You see, what happens here is complacency, where we are resisting the change that God wants to do in our lives. It was in Proverbs where Solomon says, for the turning away of the simple will slay them. (laughs) The turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. What destroys us? Complacency. You see, if fear is what delays you, then complacency is what will destroy you. If fear is what delays you, then complacency is what will destroy you. And here Joshua is exhorting them because they are disobeying God's instructions. This was showing a lack of faith in the promises of God. (laughs) So notice what he says. He moves them to action. He mobilizes them to go onward. He mobilizes them to go forward. He mobilizes them and encourages them to spiritually now step out in faith. And notice what happens here in verse 4. Because he says, pick out from among you three men from each tribe, 21 men total. And I will send them, they shall rise and go through the land, survey it, according to their inheritance, and come back to me. Go and select three men from each of the seven tribes. Tell them to go and explore the land, but have them return with a map dividing each land and record the seven divisions of the remaining land that has not been possessed and bring that back to me so that we can divide it each in the presence of the Lord for the seven tribes that are still remaining." So, what happens here in verse 5? And it says, And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory of the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me. Bring back the report after you explore the land, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. Bring back a report so that we can bring that report before the Lord and that we can cast lots in the presence of God and divide and allocate the land for you. What was he doing? He was encouraging them to take steps of faith. And notice what happens in verse seven, but the Levites had no part among you. For the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. As we've seen that the Levites did not get a portion of the land. They were, their duty was to fully be focused to serve as priests now in the presence of God. And they weren't allocated a land because the Lord was to be their inheritance now. The Lord was to be their allotment. It says this in verse 7, And Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. These three and a half tribes that settle on the east side of the Jordan, he reminds them, you have already settled. You've settled on the other side of the Jordan River. So he tells them in verse 8, Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord at Shiloh. You see, in the New Living Translation, it says, That I may cast sacred lots here before the presence of the Lord for you in Shiloh. And what happens here, it says in verse 9, So the men went... Isn't it interesting that oftentimes God says, I want you to go, but then we don't actually go. (laughs) And here it says that Joshua was encouraging me, I want you to go and explore. I want you to go and be open for what else God has for you. I want you to make yourself available now to possess the promises of God. So verse nine, it says that they went out, mapped out the sections now and passed through the land and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by the cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp at Shiloh. Then Joshua casted lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their division. Now, have you been with us the last several weeks? We stated that the process of lots is looking for direction or looking now for instruction by allowing God to give us the results or the direction. It was a means that God had for them to use to discover his will. So each tribe had to understand and survey now the area by sending three of their men, and they were to gather the facts but God was going to give them the guidance that they needed for the allocation now of the land. They were to bring back the report and then listen to the Lord as for what was his will and where he wanted them. You see, just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean that's where God wants you. You have to seek his will. You have to bring it before the Lord. This is why they brought it before the Lord at Shiloh. They brought it before the presence of the Lord. They said, Lord, out of all of this that we can go into, what is it that you have for us specifically? So it says this, And there at Shiloh, Joshua cast sacred lots in the presence of the Lord to determine which tribe should have each section. What an important thing that they sought for the Lord for each tribe. Even us right now as parents, as as leaders, as men and women of the Lord, we should ought to be always seeking the Lord for the direction of our families. Whether we are to move from one place to the other, one city to another. If we are to now look for a different job or we are to now relocate our family, are we seeking the Lord about these decisions? Because for the man and woman of God, every decision must be a spiritual one. Every decision must be a decision that you first bring before the presence of the Lord. We don't move, we don't stay because of prophets. We move or stay because of his presence. And where God is calling us, there we must go. Where God is taking us, there we must go. So what does it say? That they brought back the information. And from verse 11 to verse 20, we see the first lot was given to Benjamin. Benjamin. To the tribe of Benjamin. And then from verse 21 to verse 28, you see the towns, not only the land, but the towns that were established and given also to Benjamin. And you see now that they're standing on precepts, they're standing now on obedience. There are times that we believe, well, I'm obeying the Lord, I'm just gonna obey him tomorrow. Or I know if he told me this, but I'm going to put it off for uh, next month or next year when we're neglecting to do what he told us to do today. You see, delayed obedience is just as bad as disobedience. When God has called us to do something, we must rise up and obey. It's always too late to put the Lord on hold. We must say, Lord, what you want for me, I want to do that Today. I don't want to neglect to push away pride. I don't want to neglect to put away this bad attitude. I I don't want to neglect now everything that you have for me. In fact, I want to be open and I want to come before your presence. Show me where you want me to be. Here I am at Shiloh. Here I am at your peace. Here I am at your gift. Here I am at your presence seeking for your will and for your direction. Because there's a big difference, as we mentioned before, there's a big difference between an opportunity and a calling. And we don't walk by opportunities, we walk by where God's calling. That's what we need to hear, his voice. So notice here in Joshua chapter 19, it says, The second law came for Simeon, the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families. Notice God had a specific place for every family (laughs) God has a specific place for even us as a family. And Simeon's inheritance was there with the tribe of Judah because the allotment was more than what Judah needed. From verses 10 to verse 16, we see the third lot now, and that's for the tribe of Zebulun. From verses 17 to verse 23, you see the fourth allotment or the fourth lot, and that was for the tribes of Ishakar for the tribes of Issachar from verses 17 to verse 23 the fifth allotment we see divided here in chapter 19 from verses 24 to verses 31 and that land was given to the tribe of Asher so it just tells us here the exact place and the territory given to the tribe of Asher the second the sixth allotment or the sixth lot that was casted went from verses 34 to verses 39 according to their families to the tribe of Naphtali. So we see here these boundaries. And then in the, now, the seventh law, from verses 40 to verse 48, we see the law of Dan, or the children of Dan. How many of you guys are grateful we didn't read every single name right now? (laughs) But something interesting happens here in verse 49. Because as we approach verse 49, the, the entire land is divided. But at the end, there is an inheritance left. Notice here for Joshua. After all the land was divided, after they had divided the land according to their borders, notice what happens at the end and not at the beginning. (laughs) And this is a very important leadership principle for us. If if you're in leadership and, and you are in leadership because you're a man and woman of the Lord and God's called you to a higher standard... God's called you to serve your family. God's called you to be the light of the world. It says something important here because it says in verse 49, and when they had made an end or at the end of dividing the land as an inheritance, according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. (laughs) Isn't it amazing what a blessing it is to receive and to know that Joshua, as a leader for the nation of Israel, was not concerned about what was for him. He was concerned about the people. And as a leader, notice this your number one concern should be for others. Because here it teaches us that leadership are the first to give, but notice they're always, oftentimes, the last to receive. The last to receive. And you see here that Joshua's main concern was to establish a place. For the people, he was not self-centered. He put others first. What an example here. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 24? Let no one seek his own but each other's (laughs) well-being. There are often times that everything we think about is ourselves. We want to think of what's in it for us or how can we find self. Have you ever taken a group picture and then you see the, the, the first thing that you say after someone took the picture, you say, "Can I see it?" And then you zoom in, you're looking for what? Yourself. I don't like that picture. But you see the mentality, the leader shift. I want you to notice this: the leadership. What did Jesus say? But it shall not be so among you. But it shall not be so among you. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Philippians chapter 2 verse 4, what does it say? Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. What was Joshua doing? He was demonstrating a remarkable humility here in that he receives his portion last. You know, humility is not thinking less of yourself. True humility is thinking of yourself less. Well, you consider others before you consider self. This is the kind of humble service and concern for others that makes Joshua, notice this, a picture of Jesus, Yeshua, in the Old Testament. Notice how it says here, as a servant, Joshua was to the people. Because it tells us in verse 50, according to the word of the Lord, as God said, as God had instructed, they gave him the city which he asked for, Timnath, Sarah, in the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city there and dwelt in it. At the end of his life, Joshua received his blessing. At the end of the battles, Joshua received his inheritance. And what did he do? He rebuilt a land there. He didn't pick a place that was already built. He selected a place where he was able and he had an opportunity to rebuild. You see that regardless of how many years you've been with the Lord, it's always a season to build. (laughs) To build on what the Lord has already done. And Joshua here continues to build. In verse 51, it says, These were the inheritance which Eliezer the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by law in Shiloh. By seeking God's direction and will in the presence of God, where the tabernacle was in Shiloh, before the Lord. Notice there, before the Lord, not before man, but before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle, at the entrance of the tabernacle. Lord, we want to go before the door of your tabernacle. We want to go before the entrance of your tabernacle. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? I am the what? I am the door. He who comes to me can enter. We have to go to him who is the door and say, Lord, I'm seeking for direction here at your presence In the tabernacle of meeting, I love this word meeting, so they made an end of the dividing of the country. Why is this important? Because we have to have a daily meeting with the Lord at Shiloh. Did you know that the most important meeting that you have is the meeting that you have with God? And if that meeting's not taking place, then every other meeting is pointless. What good is it to be so busy in your day if you're not spending time with the Lord? We have to be meeting with the Lord at the entrance of his tabernacle. And there we see the blessings that he has for our lives. So the entire distribution of God's land had taken place, notice this, under God's watchful eye. They had accountability to God's word here. It was done decently in order. They divided the land. But now notice, notice this, there's two additional divisions that had to take place. They also had to allocate for cities of refuge. Write this down, please, church. And also had to allocate for common lands. Two other types of division: cities of refuge and common lands. And in both of those divisions, there's a lesson for us Today. Because it tells us in, in, in chapter 20, verse 1, that they're not only standing on precepts or walking by faith, but in chapter 20, it speaks of them now living by promises. Living by promises. They're running to the arms now of the Lord, as we say. They're running to the city of refuge. This is the other type of division. It says, The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses. After the tribes had inherited the land and they've received, and they had a direction on what God wanted for each of the tribe and each of the family, now the Lord says, As I have spoken already through my servant Moses, now designate or appoint The cities of refuge. Now, these are important for those that were living in the promised land. In fact, these are important for us as we're walking with the Lord, the cities of refuge. As I've told you through Moses, a city of refuge was meant for those that were guilty to run into for a place of safety, for a place of comfort, for a place of refuge, or now protection. And it reminds us that Jesus himself is our city of refuge, that Jesus himself is our place of refuge, of security, of safety, of protection, that is always available for us to run to. Now notice what happens here. It says that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there or run there, literally, and that they should be... Your refuge from the avenger of blood." You see, in the Old Testament, the vengeance was very important, and they were to have now vengeance on those that came and either murdered or now took advantage of a family member, it was taken very serious. But here is the grace, the city of refuge. <laughs> In fact, he says, if anyone kills another accidentally or unintentionally, they can turn and run to the city. That they maybe did this through error or they did this without knowing or now we examine their motive or intent, there must be a place where they receive refuge, where they can flee there. From who? From the avenger of blood, from the relative that is seeking revenge for the person that was killed. And there now... The fugitive can seek protection. And notice what was supposed to happen there in that city. And when he flees to one of those cities, and he stands at the entrance of the gates of the city and declares his case, in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And he would go and he would present himself before the elders of the city, and he would now tell of his case and they would receive him. They had an obligation to receive him and to give him protection and a place among them in these specific cities. Verse five tells us this. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him because of his penalty or because of his guilt now, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but he did not hate him beforehand. Now, once you examine his motive, you're going to protect him. You have a responsibility in that city. And you ought to protect, you ought to now keep safe and not give over to that avenger that's coming to take revenge because of his family member. But notice the conditions of the city of refuge. <laughs> there are specific requirements or conditions if we are to seek this safety, if we are to seek this now protection. And and what those requirements are, that we ought to, or the people here ought to, stay in the city. (laughs) That you couldn't leave the city or else you were now exposed to that avenger. And you no longer were protected under the conditions of that city. And he shall dwell in that city, verse 6, until he stands before the congregation for judgment. He has to stay there until the congregation judges them and circle the word and in your Bible until the death of one who is the high priest in those days. You had to stay there until you were tried by the local assembly and the second condition, you had safety until the death of the high priest who was in office at the time of the accident. After that, after the death and after you had been tried, Then you were free to leave the city and still remain in safety. Now, isn't it important that we notice here that the safety and the freedom in the city was through the death, notice this, of the high priest. (laughs) What an important concept for us to look at in the Old Testament, that our freedom from our guilt, that our freedom from our sin also came from the death of our high priest. Hebrews tells us that we have one high priest who went in the most holy place and died once and for all for us, and his name is Jesus. And because of the death of the high priest, we no longer are bound with the guilt or the shame or the burden of our sin, right? Because he's come and he is our city of refuge. The death of our high priest Christ Jesus has given us freedom from our guilt and from our sin. And he continues here in verse six, then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. So they appointed, verse seven, Kadesh in Galilee in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kirjah Erba in Hebron in the mountains of Judah. And the other side of Jordan, by Jericho, eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness of the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth, and the Gilead from the tribe of Gad and Goliath, and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger. For the children of Israel, and who, for, for who else? And for the stranger. Why is this important? Because the city of refuge was open and was available to anyone that needed safety. (laughs) Just like also Christ is open, not only to the believer to come for refuge, but also to the unbeliever to come and give their life to him and receive the refuge, the safety, and the protection through the blood of Calvary. And notice what happens here in verse nine. And for the stranger who dwelt among them, That whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there or run to that city and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. You see, the Bible tells us that we have an accuser. We have an accuser. And that's the enemy that comes to accuse us of our sin, to remind us of our guilt. But the Bible also says that we have an advocate, a defender, and his name is Jesus. (laughs) And we're covered as we are under the blood of Jesus. And that we are safe under the death of our high priest that once and for all gave us now that forgiveness. And now we can live justified as if we've never sinned right before God because we are in Christ. And notice, not only was this for the children of Israel, but it was also for the stranger. God's justice was applied without partiality. God's justice was available to anyone, to the children of Israel and also to the stranger now. And it says, after that, you can flee, run there, find safety there to the Lord, And it's so important for us even to realize this because this is an application and a picture now, a city of refuge for us of finding refuge in Christ alone. Did you know that in the Bible, more than 15 times, only in the Psalms alone, it speaks of God as our refuge? In fact, write this down, Psalms 46 verse one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help In trouble. Are you in trouble today? Do you need help? Run to Jesus. Run to that refuge. He's a very present help. He's available to help in time of trouble. In Psalms 91 verse 2, it says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. I'm running to Jesus. He is my fortress or my safety. He is my protection, my God. In him I will trust. Where have you put your refuge? Are you running to Jesus or are you running somewhere else? Because oftentimes when we need help, we run to the wrong place. We run to the wrong place, but here we're reminded to run to Christ as our refuge. You know, some of the similarities between the cities of refuge and our refuge in Jesus is that no one needs to fear that they're going to be turned away. Because he is the place of refuge in time of need to everyone. Both the city of refuge was to the one that was in need, but they had to live there. You couldn't just come to that city of refuge in time of need and just look around and say, well, I'm, I'm out of here now. You were, would be exposed to the danger of revenge. You would be exposed to the danger of guilt. You have to stay there. Just like we we have to abide, we have to live there and be hidden under the protection of the arms of the Lord. It was only the city of refuge, just like it is only the Lord that with only under those conditions and boundaries are we to receive that safety, anything outside of that. You know what that means? Anything outside of Christ is death. Anything outside of Christ is death. You know what the only difference with it with the city of refuge in Christ is that the city of refuge was there to help the innocent. But in Christ, we can come as the guilty <laughs> and find refuge for our souls and find refuge in time of need. What does the Bible say in Romans chapter 8, verse 1? Now, therefore, there is no what? Condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit, there is no longer any condemnation. There is no guilt. There is no shame. There is no burden. We cast that over to the Lord because he has covered it all with his blood, and we run to him, knowing that in him we have forgiveness, and he is our safety. Now notice here in Joshua chapter 21, it says this, that they were also to divide the land, not only as cities of refuge, but also as common lands. Common lands were now areas in the promised land that were divided to be made available for the the tribe or the Levites. And it says here in verse 1 of chapter 21, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came near to Eliezer, the priest, Eliezer, to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses to the tribes of the children of Israel and they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan saying the Lord has commanded through Moses to give us the cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. So what was it that the Lord promised the Levites well he wasn't going to give them a land he was their inheritance but he was going to give them benefits in the land. <laughs> so the Levites come and it says where are our benefits? <laughs> And they're consulting here with the leadership and he's saying, where are the benefits or the areas that we are to possess or you are to share with us in the different tribes, you are to separate and reserve a place for us, for our pasture or for our livestock. What did the Lord say? That they were to give and divide some specific areas, reserve that place of your land and divide it for the Levites. They're going to come and they're gonna live near you and they're gonna borrow some of your land and there they're gonna have for their livestock, and also for pasture. Now it says here now from verse 4 all the way to verse 42, that as the Lord had commanded, they divided these common lands as God had instructed. You see, this was God's method of choosing. They are obedient to the Lord. It says now, the law came out of the families of Kohathites. And the children of Aaron, the priests who were in the Levites, had 13 cities by law from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, from the tribe of Benjamin. What does it say? that they will, This was not a suggestion. This was an order. God had told them, you have to share of your land so that the priests can have a place and they can integrate themselves where you live. Now, what's the lesson in there in the common lands? Is that the Levites, notice this, they were scattered throughout all of the promised land, sharing pieces of each of the land of the tribes. And as they were scattered there, as they integrated themselves, now notice what happens now, how the Lord so perfectly, decently, and in order did this. What happened now? They had to be scattered, all the priests. Now, there was priestly influence throughout the entire promised land, (laughs) Why? Because they had to be separated. Just like we, notice this, should have a priestly influence throughout everywhere we go in the world. What did uh, the Lord tell us in 1 Peter 2, verse 9? You are a chosen generation, but what are you? A royal priesthood. That whatever space you share with, as you go out to work, as you go out with your family members, as we even participate in fellowship with the church, we're a holy nation, his own special people that you might proclaim, that we may announce, that we may preach. That's what it means to proclaim. Here we are to announce wherever we go, we would have influence now of holiness, of righteousness, that we would be the light of the world, of he who called you out of darkness into what? marvelous light. Now do you see how the Lord designed this? All came to pass as God had promised. He scattered the priests so they would have priestly influence in every tribe as they shared in the common lands. But in verse 43, something happens here because God's promises are fulfilled to God's people. Why he gave them the entire land, he was faithful. You notice three things here. Number one, the Lord was faithful to give them the land. The Lord was faithful to give them the land. What did the Lord say in Joshua chapter one? Every place where the sole of your feet treads upon, I will give to you. And when God says something, he keeps his word. God always honors his word. In fact, the Bible says that God says, I put my word even above my own name. God will never contradict his word. God is ready to perform in your life that which he has promised. Philippians 1.6, it says that he who began a work will what? Complete it. God doesn't start something that he's not willing to finish. And it says here in verse 43, so the Lord, who did it? The Lord. The Lord gave. The Lord gave to Israel all of the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they dwell in it. The Lord gave them everything he promised that he would give them. The only land that was unpossessed, it wasn't because God was unfaithful. It was because the nation of Israel failed to fully follow the Lord and drive out the enemy. But God was faithful to keep his word. He gave them the land, he gave them the rest, and he gave them everything necessary to take the land. But notice, not only did he give him the land, God was faithful. He told you he was going to give you the land. He told you that he you would inherit his promises. Well, there you are. God is faithful to keep his word. But he also, the Lord gave them victory over all of their enemies. And maybe tonight we want to pray, Lord, give us victory over our enemies. We want to run to you. We want to run to you. Notice verse forty-four. And the Lord gave, and the Lord gave rest all around maybe right now we're battling with spiritual enemies maybe right now we're battling with what the enemy wants to rob from us look what it says as we walk in obedience in faith and on promises that the lord gave them rest all around or victory on every side according to all that he had sworn or promised to their fathers and not a man of all their enemies not even one man (laughs) that was wanting to resist what god was doing in their lives were able to stand against what God had said. Who are we as men that think that we can stand against what God has said? We're nobody. If God wants to do something, he was going to do it whether you like it or not. In fact, it says this now, not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. He helped them conquer all their enemies and they entered into the land, but also they entered into the rest. This is exactly what 44 tells us. There was rest all around. There was complete victory from our enemies. Isn't it amazing the day that we look forward to that God's going to give us our heavenly rest <laughs> and we're going to be there and experience full victory as we are in the presence of the Lord? But who was it? It was that the Lord delivered all their enemies. Who delivered them? The Lord delivered them. Proverbs 21 verse 31 says this, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the deliverance is of the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Finally, verse 45, the third thing that they, we notice here is not only that the Lord was faithful to give them the land or the Lord gave them victory over their enemies, the Lord kept his promises that no one was able to stand against what God had said because they were walking in the power of the spirit but verse 44 and 45 it says that the lord kept his promises not a word failed this is amazing not a word failed of any good thing which the lord had spoken to the house of israel all came to pass can we read that out loud together that all came to pass what does it say all came to pass not a single word failed (laughs) This is so amazing for us to be able to walk in confidence that what he has promised he's going to complete he honors his word he doesn't contradict it to the house of israel everything came to pass everything that god said was true everything he spoke came to pass maybe right now we're living in the middle of the battle and we cannot see if we're going to get victory we'll notice this everything that god said if you obey him is going to come to pass And we're doubting, we're saying, well, the pressure of this battle is too heavy. Well, notice God always keeps his word. And notice this, you don't have to put your trust in man's word, you put your trust in God's word. You don't have to trust in what man has said, you can trust what the Lord has said because not one word that he said will ever fail. What does the Bible say? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. You can trust what he has said. You can trust what he has said, that what he has promised, he's able to perform regardless of the circumstances. What are we to do today? To run to the city of refuge, to run to Jesus. Can we pray right now?